He goes, I think that you should come home and get a job working construction. He goes, who knows, Sammy? Maybe one day you'll even find yourself driving a piece of heavy machinery. Welcome, welcome. This is Anchored and Devoted. I'm Pastor Joseph. Hey, I'm Pastor Jer. We're glad you guys are here with us. And yes, that's right. We're talking over each other, which means it's Pastor Friday. I didn't say this. That's right. There's no fish. I I know. There's no fried fish. He normally makes a bad joke. So we'll just get that over with and pretend it didn't exist. We have a pastor hiding in the wings. At least I hope he hasn't hung up on this yet. His name (laughs) is... This is Sammy Foster. He he is is here. He is here. Mike is live. There he is. From Lighthouse Church, I'm sure Jared will explain more later, but dun, 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 we don't have any special air horns for you, Sammy Foster, but yeah, welcome to Anchor to beer, the beer, beer. Great to be with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was our wholesome expulsion yes. right there. Um, Sammy, there one go. of the first questions that we ask most people to come on is uh, how did you, how did Jesus get a hold of your life? And since I know a part of your story, I'm just going to sit back and let you roll, man. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's, that's a, a short question that lends to a robust story, but the long and short, and I'll try to make a long story somewhat short, I was, uh, I was raised in a really, you know, in many ways, exemplary home, gospel-centered, mom, dad, had a beautiful marriage. I have a older brother and an older sister, wherein actually they are more my half-brother, half-sister from my father's first wife that passed away from leukemia. And so then my father married, obviously, my mother, and I have then two younger brothers as well. So beautiful upbringing, incredible um, on many fronts. My father... um, was an elder at the church that planted actually the church that I'm part of now. And uh, then he became associate pastor there. And I went by way of the stereotypical PK, where um, (laughs) I went to a public school, got hooked up with the wrong crowd, wanted to do my own thing, rebel against the system, didn't have any faith of my own. um, And so went further and further to where I eventually just dabbled, you know, you know, early on with uh, sort of the elementary level of drugs uh, that would then lead to a full-blown heroin addiction. That heroin addiction then resulted in those that I was closest to dying of overdoses, and uh, my inner circle began to pass away enough to where uh, it ultimately caused me. Uh, uh, at least enough of a concern that I knew that I needed help. I think there's something in and among addiction that an addict knows that you're running out of runway. Um, there's an intuition, and there's just a, an, an intrinsic wherewithal that you know, all right, I'm, 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 I'm on borrowed time now. So out of that, I went into a yeah. program, and I went into a program called Teen Challenge. That program, even to present, is probably the single most influential season of my life that not only actually, you know, was the catalyst to me meeting Jesus and then forged so much in my walk with Jesus, but I went into this program and I didn't have any intent of 
ascribing to the Christian faith. Truth be told, the only reason that I went into that program is because it was uh, my father didn't have an insurance plan that was, you know, uh, well enough to absorb any outpatient and or inpatient program that the state offered. Right. And so this was relatively inexpensive. The problem is, is that it required 13 months agreement. So I was like, man, I, you know, <laughs> hey, I'll do this program, but I, I need to get in and out. I just need to detox and wow. get back at it. And so I went into this program, and uh, what happens in this program is, is it's called two-week blackout. So most typical programs, you know, align with that mentality. No letters, no phone calls, no contact with outside, so that you just sort of focus on, you know, the present issue, and that is getting well, focusing on your recovery, what have you. And I did that for two weeks. I detoxed over the course of six days, and this is old school. So this is old school. This is before they gave you Suboxone or Methadone or any programs like that. They locked you in a room and let you kick holes in walls. True story. And so I detoxed over the course of six days, then would spend um, another eight days until I got my first phone call. And so my first phone call I had planned was on a Saturday morning. I was going to call a buddy of mine, come pick me up, get me out of here. Um, <laughs> you know, it's incredible. Uh, addiction work the, is work the plan. <laughs> uh, totally, totally. Uh, you know, I, I came here to get what I got, and I'm 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 ready to rock. So the program, um, an addict addiction is blinding because I was so strung out that even though I was on death's door, I was still chock full of pride and ego and arrogance. Like I, I know what I need, and so. My plan was call a buddy, come pick me up, and um, I'm going to try to stay clean. And so it was a Friday night. Jerry, you probably heard this story a million and one times, but it was a Friday night. I was in this house in downtown Washington, D.C., on the outskirts of Capitol Heights. That's where the second home of the program was. And it was lights out at 930, 9 o'clock at night. I was sitting on this bed. And I had my whole plan sort of oriented, and I laid my head back on a pillow. And as sure as I'm talking to you is what I then, I heard. It wasn't audible, but it was a still, small, sweet, sweet voice that was still authoritative. It wasn't wasn't so sweet that it was like velvet. It was authoritative, but I heard crystal clear, Sammy. You find out how awesome I am, and you'll fear me. And when you fear me, you'll obey me. And when you obey me, you'll fall in love with me. And so I was laying there, and I thought, yo, that's, that's whack. So I just laid there, and I heard it again. Sammy, you find out how awesome I am, and you'll fear me. And when you fear me, you'll obey me. And when you obey me, You'll fall in love with me. At that point, I sat up, swung my legs off the bed, and I would hear that perpetually for probably what was 40 minutes. I just sat on the edge of that bed. I had this little composition, you know, you know, those old school sort of salt and pepper notebooks. The black and whites, yeah. And I had one on my bedstand, and I grabbed it, and I wrote it over and over and over. And that night, what I couldn't believe is I didn't even have the character or the depth that evening to absorb what that even meant. 
or the succession in which it was given. All I knew, all I knew is that was God. That was God. And my second most profound thought was, I can't believe that the God of heaven would speak to me. Even in amidst my arrogance and ego and pride, amidst my addiction, God would yeah. pierce through my stony, hard heart and give me time of day. That shook right. me as much as the profound nature of what he spoke to me. And I can honestly say that took place on a hot July night in 1996, and I have never been the same. I would spend 13 months in that program. So you're supposed to stay in that program a year. I think I got, you know, held back, you know, story of my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, never finished anything on time. Um, And uh, that was, that night was the catalyst of, that's when I met Jesus. I cried tears like a baby sitting on that bed, surrendered. Mm -hmm. I prayed a simple prayer, Lord, save me, save me. Show yourself real to me. And... um, I, I often say that the, the, the second most clarifying aspect of that miraculous sort of encounter was from that moment forward, I had this insatiable desire to read scripture. Like I couldn't put it down. And I had been raised yeah. in a gospel centered home, went to Christian education, yada, yada, yada. It was like every sentence I read, it was like, I, I remember I highlighted an entire page of scripture. And I showed it to one of the monitors or mentors at the program. He was like, yo, my man. <laughs> he was like, if you, in, if you highlight the entire page, that's sort of defeating the purpose, Hot Rod. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's supposed to be what I was like, I, well, hey, the whole thing spoke to me. So <laughs> I, had get, coloring book. <laughs> I had to get schooled on how all that worked. So it was, that's how I met Jesus. And uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So the next week, you know, 13 months later, and uh, they they put the hat on you, you became pastor? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So I came out of that program, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I graduated that program, obviously, the following August. And then I, um, uh, that September, but probably six weeks later, I went into what was, what is known as Elam Bible College in upstate Mm -hmm. New York. And so I would spend three years up there. And um, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that I was called to be a pastor until about my second year there. I grew in confidence enough to sort of audibly say it. Um, I, I, I walked with too deep of an insecurity at the time. I was on fire. I mean, I was rip-roaring, ready to go. And what I wanted to do, by and large, is get home and tell all my friends and those that I got high with and, you know, my squad, if you will, I just want to tell them about Jesus. And I would do that. And they would all, you know, stiff arm me, and they were like, yo, you're one of those guys now? And I was like, I think I am. I was like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was like, I can't believe it. I'm sort of a little bit embarrassed by it, but I am. I can't not not tell you, but it was in my second year that I really decided and and really felt called, I'm called the pastor. And so... Um, I sort of changed my track, if you will, more of a theological sort of, mm-hmm. you know, track. And then, um, and then I took graduate or classes after I graduated from Elam. Okay. So, uh, how then did you, how did you end up where you are now? What's the story of Lighthouse? Yeah. So 
The story of Lighthouse. I guess I should have said that. This is Sammy Foster of Lighthouse Church. Ah, You can do that whenever (laughs) you want. You just did it. I just did Um, So after I got home, um, I, uh, interesting story with that is I came home and I was going to take a job that the school had found for me. That was in San Diego, California. It was a youth pastor position. Man, I, I felt like, Yo, this is this is a kiss from heaven, um, you know. Hey, had they, you know, I, I'm born and raised in Glen Burnie, so had I been called to, you know, shoot Curtis Bay, that would have been, you know, a kiss <laughs> from heaven. You know, any, anything outside of Glen Burnie, but San Diego, man, to boot, I was like, let's rock. However, I went and I told Pastor Jack Cox of mm-hmm. uh, I don't know David if you know who Pastor Jack Cox is. He is the senior pastor, or was rather, of Severn Covenant Church that planted Lighthouse Church. So he was my pastor along with my father. And so I went and told him, and I remember I sat in his office and I said, hey, Pastor Jack, this is, you know, I want to heed to your counsel and, you know, this is the direction I'm going to come home. I'm going to graduate Elam. I'm going to marry Ruth. And then in a month, I'm going to move out to San Diego. I'm going to take this position. And he was sitting there. I remember telling him what I was planning on doing. And I was, man, I was like breaking a sweat, pulling a hamstring. I was selling it. I was telling him how much I believed it was God. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is incredible. I can't wait. Um, And I'm a beach guy. So, man, I mean, for me, all all stars aligned. And um, he didn't say a single word. (laughs) He was just listening to me, you know, sort of, you know, looking at me and my runners. And all of a sudden, I get to the end of, of my whole dissertation of why I believe this was God, this was what I was going to do, Ruth's all about it. And he sort of sat back in this big red tufted chair, rocked a little bit, folded his hands, and then in that, in that voice. He's like, look, Jeremy, he's like you know looking up voice. to the right, right? Oh, oh totally. And, 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 and that voice, it's like subtle and stoic, yet it, it packs the weight of a sledgehammer. He goes, oh, what I think you should do. I was like, <laughs> and I remember thinking, I, I really don't care what you think I should do. I, I didn't come that here. That wasn't the question. I, yeah, that was a lot of, my, me heeding your counsel was a lot of false humility. I was just. That wasn't a question. <laughs> right. He goes, I think that you should come home and get a job working construction. I was like. And then he goes, long dramatic pause. He goes, who knows, Sammy? Maybe one day you'll even find yourself driving a piece of heavy machinery, like a backhoe or something. <laughs> and I was like, what in the it's world? It's the path to being a pastor. That's, totally. that's it right there. <laughs> and I thought there was, there, there was a twofold. There was, there was this paradox of thought within me. Number one, I thought, and I've told him this, so he, he's, he's well aware. I thought, how foolish. What, what mm. terrible counsel. And in the second thought that was more pronounced than the first, <laughs> I knew without a shadow of a doubt that was the word of the Lord. I knew it. Oh, wow. I, I could kick against the goads. I could fight it. I, it'd be like spitting in a fan. I knew that was the word of the Lord, no matter how bad I wanted San Diego. And by God's grace, it wasn't my character. It wasn't my willingness or humility. 
there was a grace on me to know I got to heed mm. that counsel. I can't go to San Diego. I can't. I, it would be like Jonah running from, from Nineveh. It, it, I knew yeah. it. So I went home and I told Ruth, she goes, how'd it go? I went, <laughs> great. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. I'm you gonna ain't going to believe this. <laughs> I said, we ain't going to San Diego. And she, she had a grace on her to go. I, I totally, I'm, I'm following your lead, babe. I'm following your lead. Actually, it was more, I'm following Pastor Jack. Because you, you, <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't have enough runtime to earn, earn, <laughs> earn all my trust yet. So I'm going with that dude. Were and you guys so, married at that point? I'm sorry? Were you and Ruthie married at that point? We had just got married. Okay. We were three all weeks right. married. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So then, um, you know, the old, you know, I bought a boat. I bought a 40-foot trawler. Converted it into a houseboat. That was a dream. So I was like, all right, well, if we can't go to San Diego, we're moving on a boat. I thought it'd be like living on a yacht. More, It was like living on a trailer on the water. <laughs> True story. So you watch you ever TV hear shows. About... That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I watched, you know, Robin Leach. I thought, man, this is the jam. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was a trailer park on the water. So, oh, my goodness. So when Ruth and I first got married, you know, we, we hey, we made a covenant. And we, hey, we, we, we did the whole thing, you know, Jesus-centered. He's the cornerstone of our home, yada, yada, yada. We'll never use the D word. We'll never throw that or levy that, you know, as 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 uh, a threat six months into the marriage of me living on that boat she was like here's the, here's the deal hot rod i will divorce you tomorrow if you don't get me off this boat i was like i thought yep. you're gonna do better i was like honey I, I promise never to use the d word i'm done how about that yeah. <laughs> i'm done no, you no. can stay on the boat but yeah. i'm done yeah <laughs> she said get me off this boat i said all right all right so uh that's hilarious so did you put it on land and say honey yeah hey. dry dog, baby. it's on it's on stilts this is no heck no i sold it to this guy that um oh, uh, he came out of middle gentleman. river and that was a godsend as well best day you mm -hmm. own a boat is the day you buy it day you sell it i live by that so uh and then i started a small company it would be nine years before i went into the ministry started a company called rim doctor did that that was incredible um, and then uh, about 2009, the elders came to me and said, would you consider coming on uh, part-time, which I did. And then I took over the lead pastor position in uh, August of 2010. And so okay. I became pastor of Lighthouse Church. So I got a few questions since Jeremy's been hogging you. First question, and you kind of answered it with I'm curious, with Teen Challenge, do you still do anything with them? Or are you, outside of supporting them and <laughs> boosting them on our podcast, Absolutely. do you, like, rock the T-shirt or have a Teen Challenge license plate? It's or got like, a bracelet. No, no, no. <laughs> right, right. No, I try not to. I tell of my addiction story too much. I don't want to get labeled as one because I got a license plate cover. So um, Teen Challenge is very near and dear to me. So I'm still connected with various uh, directors of Teen mm -hmm. Challenges all over. I still commend yeah. it to guys that I work with. I'll go and speak there from time to time. Mm -hmm. So still connected cool. to them. Cool, cool, cool. Mm -hmm. And then second, bouncing around. No problem. When you um, agreed that, you, you know, construction was in your future, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
you know, did you have other people speaking into your life or was it just the pastor? Oh, so I, I had a, a pretty robust support group. You know, I had my father that, you know, not only was a pastoral figure of mine, he was my best friend. He was, you know, my confidant. Um, so, you know, you know, just hearing Pastor Jack, me knowing that was the word of the Lord, knowing that Ruth, you know, immediately was like, amen to that. You know, I sort of submitted that to my parents and those that, you know, were my accountability partners um, in my recovery. Everybody quickly co-signed that. Okay, cool. Now that helps. And then when when you were a new believer and you had this super appetite for reading the word, how long did that last? I would say that lasted... um, With the ferocious sort of, you know, number one, you know, I would read the word all day. Every moment that I wasn't preoccupied in the program, I was in scripture. Um, And then that carried into Bible college. So I would say that lasted probably, you know, defining it two years, two years of where, um, man, I just couldn't get enough of it. Um, couldn't get enough of that. And then, and then there became, you know, a desire to read other supplemental, you know, obviously, you know, you know, I went to a a largely charismatic uh, Bible college, but, you know, I cut my teeth in largely reformed theology. So, you know, I was reading everybody from, you know, Sproul to, you know, CJ Mahaney to Piper to, you know, and then, and then, you know, after I, I got home, I even went out to Mars Hill, actually. This is at the heyday of Mark Driscoll, where they launched what was called the Resurgence. So that was uh, a program called the Masters of Missional Leadership. So I did intensives out in Seattle for a while. Um, and so it carried into that, but... Um, not to the degree that it was when I first got saved, but there was remnants of it. I want to piggyback off that. When, when that sort of abated or stepped down, did that lead to uh, either like a, um, some kind of crisis of faith, questioning whether or not it had been real or whether it was just you know, energy? Or, or how, did you, how did you look at that and say, okay, well, I, I used to be, zeal was at a 10 now it's not what's going on and how did you navigate that no it wasn't it it wasn't that calculated and or um noticed in my mind's eye i i I had got you know when you're in a cocoon of a recovery program wherein you know you have all the time and space to focus solely on um you know, obviously life outside, there's a whole bunch of other competing factors. So I just saw that as, you know, uh, just a normative, you know, outworking of the rhythms of life. But my passion never waned. Um, Obviously, there's seasons of ebb and flow, uh, even the present, you know, here I am, you know, uh, 20 years removed from that. And I still feel that as, as most believers do. So um, I don't I don't carry a guilt over that or psychoanalyze it either. I just sort of see that as um, 
you know, that laid a real constitution within me right. that's always been with me. Right. I'm curious, what do you think held you back from receiving Christ earlier? Again, you said you grew up in a family, you were always around it, and then all of a sudden you did have this moment. I'm always like curious as to what you felt. Was it a distraction or or was it actually helpful? I don't know. Yeah. Was it swimming uh, in the water the whole time? You realize, hey, I need to <laughs> be a fish too. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, you know, I think it's it's part of the stereotypical, you know, reason that PKs tend to venture out and be rebellious. They want to stretch. They want to, you know, um, you know, familiarity does breed contempt to a degree. Sure. And in my case, it most certainly did. Um, I see it in my own son, 18 years old, of where, you know, uh, Jeremy can attest to, I was raised in um, a vein of Christianity that was largely legalistic. There was, there was cultish aspects of it. Um, it was... I'm shaking my head over you here. You know, it was charismatic, <laughs> Pentecostal, while at the same time it was, it was works-based to a degree. So a lot of that, um, it, 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 it rubbed, it rubbed me. Um, and so when I came into my own and specifically in high school, it was like having, you know, a dog that got out of the gate, you know, man, all I wanted to do is run. I just didn't even know what direction. I just thought I'm going to, I'm hauling, I'm hauling whatever way the wind takes me. And that ultimately led me to to the wrong squad. Um, but it was nothing more than my own rebellion and unregeneration, while at the same time being insulated um, to a point that was probably unhealthy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That helps. Because um, I was thinking, and I... As you stated, I know it to be true that many people can be around the church, but not of Christ. And so one of my concerns totally. for new believers, as well as seasoned believers, is that the relationship was real. And it sounds, as you stated with the legalism, the relationship was often one based off of works and not off of um, engagement or faith or love. Sure. Um, and that makes it um, very... I mean, just to be honest, unattractive for others. Whereas I know with uh, when I came to Christ, um, the relationship that I saw my mom with God was so dynamic that I wanted it. Yeah. And I wanted it early. Yeah. Um, whereas for many uh, in the church, you know, in the church as a kid, you could see that it was just something that was done out of family is here. And so it's almost like there's a sense of community, but it isn't a sense of faith. Like totally. There isn't that personal engagement. Um, it's almost you like, know, as you said, a clan versus, you know, a conversation with God. And these are people that I love. Totally. And, you know, I, you know, this may be an aside, but I still see that, you know, by and large, you know, that's permeated the church this day, even in gospel centered churches, not even, you know, works based, but where there is a centrality of Jesus, um, uh, you know, uh, the proclamation of grace, um, 
all of these things, you know, people can be deceived enough to think that, wait a minute, um, I'm walking with Jesus when in fact it's a lot of head knowledge but no conversion mm-hmm. of the heart. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I was just telling our staff recently, you know, when you consider the Assemblies of God movement or, you know, the AG churches, it used to be that in order for a pastor to be ordained and recognized as a shepherd, uh, it, was, it was a pairing of two things. One was is that they had to have a biblical knowledge, rightly being able to divide the word, while at the same time, there had to be a clear mark and testimony of an encounter. What was your encounter with Jesus? Not just a, not even a surrender. What was the encounter that you had with the risen Christ where the Holy Spirit indwelt you, you knew you went from death to sin to life in Jesus, and what did that encounter do, and what were the implications thereof in the immediate aftermath that are still present to this day? I think a lot of guys climb into the pulpit or lead churches because, hey, they work through seminary, they got their degree, they're recognized by denomination or non, but yet they've never had an encounter. And so, mm-hmm. hey, they can get up silver-tongued and even rightly mm-hmm. divide the word. But when push comes mm-hmm. to shove, they have no point of reference to look back mm-hmm. on and go, this is where I had my bell rung. This is where I met Jesus. In the same way, not liking, you know, building, you know, too close of a parallel. But when you consider the disciples, I mean, hey, they walked with the rabbi for three years and still denounced <laughs> and still them three it. times. Yep. <laughs> but yet that encounter... That encounter was the game changer. I mean, they took off like Grant took Richmond, you know, after they saw him and said, hey, if you need to take my life, so be it. That 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 wasn't just what they knew. That was what they knew built on now, what they encountered. And so I, I think that there's a lot of PKs that are raised in an environment that have all the ingredients of, man, this should work. But until you have an encounter... You know, that's a big spread. That 18 inches, man, is huge. Mm. And so that that was me. I knew it all. But and once I had my encounter, that's why I said all of those scriptures that I read after, you know, being in that program, I had read those all before. Yep. But yet they right. were like life to me. So um, I think that's cool. undermined this day. It's a big concern of mine even mm. now. So how do you keep that front and center? where you are, both with your staff, but more importantly, as you've got new people coming in, uh, unbelievers, new believers walking in doors of your church, how do you keep that grace, the reality that, you know, it doesn't matter what we're walking through, right? All of us have whatever the baggage is that we're carrying, and ultimately God's got to knock that out of our hands, and we have to be willing to say, okay, I'll let that one go, and I'll take what you have for me. You talked earlier about the pride that you had, and I think for each of us, it's coming to the place of saying, now you are God and I'm not. And if, if you called me and you want me, then yeah, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll do what you say. How do you keep that front and center uh, as you're talking, you know, week to week and not just in your own life, but in the life of your congregation? Yeah. So um, I, I would say that it, that's, that's largely um, dependent on, you know, um, ministering through a balanced vein, number one, being faithful to Scripture, 
clear your 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 preaching, you know, as best as our fallible persons are able to preach the full counsel of God's word, while at the same time, um, disciple people in close context so that you can see the areas of their life that need reproof or need for you to put your finger on and to do it in a gracious, loving way. But I, I think that it's, it's a balance. It's a, it's a balance of being faithful to, you know, preaching God's word while at the same time cultivating a culture. Um, you know, I often say in an Among Lighthouse, I want a demographic in an Among Lighthouse that's very polarized, meaning I want those that are seasoned, that have walked with Jesus, that know him, that have the experience to say, I raised my babies, I stayed mm-hmm. faithful in my marriage, I've stayed true to my testimony, I haven't, um, I've fallen down many a times, and yet, by God's grace, humbly got backed up, and then I want the brand new that are kicking the tires. I want to see both of those camps in an Among Lighthouse. Why? Because I believe both camps keep one another honest. I think those <laughs> that are seasoned um, create an inspiration and, and really wet in the, the, the palate of those that are lost, banged up, jacked up, strung out, living together, all kinds of turned around. I, I think they are a beautiful benchmark for what could be. And I think it humbles those that are seasoned so they don't become self-righteous and arrogant to see those that don't even know who Jesus is, that it causes them to sort of pull down their lofty Christianese into a rudimentary manner and then watch life change happen. Oh, it keeps the waters fresh. It keeps things churning. Otherwise, we just grow stagnant as sheep. We start biting one another and picking fleas off of one another, fighting over carpet color, a whole bunch of other BS that, you know, we're so prone <laughs> Doesn't to do. matter. Don't it's, believe it's, it. It never happens. Yeah, total freaking nonsense. <laughs> because we're not missional. We've, we've well, lost agree. the prize, and we're yep, just discipling. We're, we're not, all we're ingrown. Not what we're called to do. Yeah. Totally, totally. So both of those camps in a church culture— I think are really healthy for discipleship. Um, so that that that's a that's a big but one. It sounds like one of one of my questions was hidden in there because it rubbed you just the right way. But I'm curious, <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it might not. Sam, your mic just turned one, off. But... Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, this could sound like one and the same, but sometimes it's not. I would say I would give a twofold answer to that. One would be posturing. Posturing pisses me off. I mean, to no end is when people walk with the swag and this overt sense of confidence of they got this whole thing figured out. I I love that Jesus said, you know, suffer not the little children to come unto me. Lest you have the faith of a child, you won't inherit the kingdom. There is something really beautiful about having a wonder and an awe and a healthy fear of God, and, 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 and the whole grand scheme of things remains a mystery. I love that. It keeps you from posturing. But second to that is, is self-righteousness, of where people really drink their own Kool-Aid, and they really think, <laughs> wait a minute, we got this whole thing all figured out, and we're going to start speaking and acting like it. That is a detrimental turnoff. And so some people posture out of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Some people posture out of arrogance, pride, and ego. So self-righteousness and posturing aren't aren't always correlated, 
but I, I believe they're in the same camp. Um, but those two in the church um, are antithetical to Jesus, and I believe do way more damage. I, I think that, hey, anybody that's in pastoral ministry knows that we're always cleaning up the PR from those two fronts. <laughs> I know I am. Okay. I'll, I'll take the opposite question as well. What do you, what's, you know, what's the passion? Oh, my passion right now is <laughs> refuting cultural lies. Are there, are there any of those out there? <laughs> I feel I, I feel like like the stage is set like in in one sense it's a crazy crazy time to be a pastor holy mm-hmm. cow I mean in 2023 this is nuts because we are so you, you know Jerry you spoke earlier about your son being a contrarian we are so contrary to the cultural flow and stream and and narrative but at the same time I look at it as, babe, all I got to do is keep the porch light on and my nose clean. Because at the end of the day, I think what is happening is, and you can hear this whether you listen to Joe Rogan or you listen to Albert Mueller or you listen to, God rest his soul, Tim Keller. What's been set for us is that everybody has been over-promised and under-delivered. So, so, so when Scripture says broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life, I think the whole culture right now, all they have left in the bag is make the broader broader. Let's just keep kicking out the, the guardrails as far as we can get them. But everybody to a degree knows, well, everybody, that's, that's way too hyperbolic. A lot of people know <laughs> they don't have the goods. We... we Set, we're in the middle of, an, of, of, of the second sexual revolution. We have needle parks and sanctuary cities now that say you can get high however, whenever, wherever you want. We have our economy is teeter tottering on absolute bankruptcy. All we keep doing is, is raising the debt ceiling. Um, all of the sense of security, stability, and safety that the American culture used to have now hangs in the balance. And so now all we're left to do as hedonists is, is keep promising you can do this and then you can arrive at that. And everybody knows that's, that's a joke. No, you can't. I can, I can sleep with anybody that I want, <laughs> anybody or anything. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can absorb as many drugs as I want. You're still going to come up empty-handed. And what's happening is, is we're sitting in the midst of a culture where more and more people are trying it. But yet they're never coming up with the utopia that's been promised at the end of the rainbow. So it's all a cultural lie. And it's being perpetuated. But what's happening is people are growing increasingly cynical. While at the same time, the demonic, the prince of the air, is trying to wage war or has waged war to say that we're the problem. And I think if we just hold fast, and, and not get caught up into whether it's politics or cultural hot-button issues right away, but we're able to sit in the cut slowly, confidently, but surely, I think the stage is being set for the Second Great Awakening. But those lies better be refuted clearly and articulately um, and compassionately. But that's... David, to answer your question, I, that's, a, that's a long answer no, to no. a short question. I, 
That's my I'm, passion. I'm glad where you ended. I've been praying for revival for so long, it's not even funny. No doubt. And when I say it's not funny, it's been at least two decades of consistently praying. Yep. I kid you not for revival. I, that's one of those things that I just want to see. Um, I, I genuinely um, believe um, that that it would be so much gr- the grace mm. of God mm. to um, it would just be so gracious, no doubt, um, to allow for you know such a a people that's hurting to experience um, uh, new life, new identity, um, uh, a redefinition in a, I think it would be impressive to see such a creative people, such a, yeah. um, come on, man, such a, you know, so many people that bear the image of God that have lost their way, come to know him together and truly um, make changes based off of who God is as opposed to who they are or who they think they are. Amen. Um, and so I, I would, I would, I'm, I long for that. Um, yeah. I'm even, and Jared knows this, I've been working on devotional for new believers. We've got, I've got two new books coming out this year and over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a devotional for new believers. And part of it was written with that as a, I would love for this to be something where God shows out and it's like, what do we do? Okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so overwhelmed with, People who need the gospel, you know, I mean, who have the gospel and have Christ, but the discipleship process isn't there because churches, as you stated, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And I know that, you know, revival breaks out. We don't have enough churches <laughs> right. for no. everyone to go everywhere. Like, we just don't. We're, nope. we're understaffed. We're underfunded. And yep. then you talk about actually doing it well. It's totally. like, I don't know what I would do. Totally. And so I was like, you know, I need to personally for myself write something, not that I can have the perfect answer. And, it, you know, one of the things I love about my writing is that it is very much a focusing and pointing people back to God, yeah. focusing and pointing people back to the relationship, not the legalism, not the I've got to memorize everything. But those it's important to know who God is and respect and revere. But it's also important to know that you're family. And so Amen. it's okay, as you stated, it's if I fall, if I trip, if I make a mistake, I don't lose my last name. Like I'm still Amen. family with him. It's amazing. Um, right. And I've been forgiven. So it's beautiful. It's grace filled. And it's not required for me to give. It's not required for me to do anything because Christ has done it all. And out of that, I want to give. I want to help. Amen. I want to do. Um, and so I am excited when you i'm very excited what you said uh, at the end personally because that's that's where my heart is is that i'm i've been praying and i will continue to pray yeah it's one of my hopes is that amen man god will allow for revival to break out i want to see it i just and and let's be honest i I don't think anything else is going to do it i mean i I understand i understand that hey you know it's just i was just on a podcast recently where you know i was you know, just, you know, reading through Revelation 21 and 22, where it says, and those that are victorious, mm-hmm. aka those that persevere, those that endure, I understand that the call on my life is to be faithful despite what I see. But I also know, at having been in ministry for the short tenure that I have, nothing else 
is sufficient right now. Correct. Nothing, it's not clever preaching. It's not cool churches. It's not. Uh, Worship music. It's not the lights or the smoke or the. (laughs) Heck no. Heck no. Those gimmicks, the gig is up, man. Yeah, it's not we... the camel at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you know good and well. That used to be the God. thing for one season. No Every doubt, mega church man. had a camel. Oh I was my like, gosh. When, when did I miss this memo? Totally. And then there had to be real sheep. It was like, what? Like that what? was the that, that was that, 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 you were I next know a level that, if you had real I know livestock. a church that if if you didn't have real livestock, it, you weren't doing it. It didn't matter how much you it didn't matter how much you spent on wardrobe. If you didn't no have no doubt, real animals, man. you missed it. Jesus no was not there. <laughs> the spirit of God could not move, not without yep. live animals. So. Oh my gosh! Um, so but true. It, it is. It is one of those things where, as you stated, I don't think. I I think there is. Um, an opportunity for believers both in the pulpit and out to live out their faith consistently whether things are good or bad and that is a witness so that as God renews the hearts of those that are his and I pray that it is many through revival um, we are ready um, we are encouraged to then make disciples amen Um, amen man Totally, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, yes, it is. I think it's, I think it's something that, um, you know, more people are, I think, waiting for rapture than for revival. Right. Um, and so, I, I think it would be just a beautiful surprise for, Amen. <laughs> you know, millions no, and millions of people to come to him and you just go, wow, this had nothing to do with, as you state, my oratory skills or my, yeah, anything else is just the spirit of God moving and people are coming to him. And now we got to actually do the hard work of helping them grow in their faith, be fruitful, work with the Spirit of God, listen to the Spirit of God, and serve out of love. Amen. Um, Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, one random question just because I like them. Um, So are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm a false extrovert. Right. Meaning, it's okay, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. So I give the persona. And in many ways, I do come alive in crowds and parties and, and you know, dense settings. I like that. I like people. I like people. But people do drain me. They don't give life to me. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a dichotomy in that I love, I come alive in the midst of people, but people do sort of deplete my battery so i'm energized alone but i really do come alive around around people so after a sunday i preach (laughs) i just preached at a church recently where it was four services in the morning one in the evening now that's obviously that's that's an extreme example i felt like Mm -hmm. i got hit by a truck um so after several services on a sunday I'm still smoked. So, um, um, but I would say my personality more is fitting with an extrovert. Um, I just get my, my regeneration alone. Okay, one more last, last question. <laughs> Who is the most influential person in your life? See, I was, I was going to ask him too. Oh, well, my bad. That was his last question. No, no, no. That's, that was going to be my last <laughs> 
I would say my father. Yep. My old man is the one that really poured so much of maybe worldview, you know, relationship dynamics, um, admirable aspects that I like about manhood. Um, uh, you know, uh, the art of influence, things like that. I gleaned a ton from my father. So, um, and I say that often. There's parts about him that I love. There's parts about him that I never want to repeat. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't like, um, I mean, my father was a walking lawsuit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. sounds like a whole other episode. Nah, that's oh, that's <laughs> literal. Oh, yeah, Jer, Jer, Jer can, that's the in memoriam episode. Totally. I, you know, my father never, never was able to realize Lighthouse Church in the season that we're in now. God took him um, uh, six years ago, six years ago at the end of May. And, um, Oddly enough, we moved into this space in which we currently, you know, own. Um, and when we were moving in here, for reasons that maybe, you know, weren't on my radar at the time, but um, I just sort of had this intuition, like, it, it, you know, or, or feel rather, oh, it'll work out. We never made him an office here. And he was sick during the build out of this current location. But in, in retrospect, I really believe, like, God saw, and, and it was, it was like the first service of the building that we currently reside was his funeral. So we were building this building out, and we were anticipating opening it. We fast-tracked it, so it, because we were somewhat homeless, and we needed this space, um, really, for his funeral. And so it was sort of like this Moses Aaron thing that was pretty amazing. Um, but God took him home. And I, I often look back now and go, I, I think he probably took him home because <laughs> if dad still had a mic in this present day and all that we've seen, whether by way of sexuality or <laughs> gender or political discourse or uh, there wouldn't be a lighthouse. We would we'd we'd all be locked up. We'd be He didn't hold his tongue. <laughs> Not even close. So there's parts of him that that I think, man, that cat that cat was crazy. But then there's parts that I gleaned a ton from. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I, I don't think it's possible, at least from my perspective, Sammy, to talk about your story without reflecting back on your dad's story. Yeah. I knew him not as you did, obviously. But what I saw from your dad was someone who, A, he did not abide fools, mm. but he was always gracious. He always yeah. firm, but always gracious. He knew who he was. He knew that his crap smelled. Yep. He knew that Jesus loved him in spite of it. Yeah. And he came in to say, look, you can know, you can know this God that loves me. And I love yep. you. And that's the thing about your dad. He always had that. And I'm going to use the Christian easier, but he always had that sweetness, that aroma of yeah. true love. Yeah. I think that. Um, well said. I think it is well worth honoring his memory and talking mm. to you. At least that's, that's a part of my heart here. Is, um, mm. He was a very special I, man. I and I agree. Yeah. A bunch of, a uh, bunch of <laughs> flaws and boils. And it made my life a lot more enjoyable, honestly. <laughs> Totally.
<laughs> he sure did, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Uh, this has been yeah, thanks a ton of fun. Absolutely, uh, really appreciate thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, the honor and pleasure was mine. I really where appreciate can uh, it. where can people reach you? Where can people find you? Where can they find uh, your your posts, your books, your thoughts, whatever? Yeah, yeah. Sammy Foster Lighthouse uh, or Sammy Foster LH is my is my gram account, but uh, most seen is Simplexity Podcast. Um, so I'm a big fan of you guys doing this, man. I, I think there's uh, there's a there's a big arena of influence in the podcast world. So as of about nine months ago, I ventured into it and uh, been having a ball, man. I love it. I love awesome. it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> lot of ways that uh i think uh that i I wasn't aware that you know discipleship happens and Mm -hmm. you know um uh you know i i wrote a book you know really it's the core values of lighthouse church but it's called plain and simple um and our core values are truth worship community and mission and one of my favorite scriptures in this season of my life to go with david's question of what are you passionate about you know, the book Ecclesiastes, seventh chapter, Solomon makes this statement where he says, you know, I am convinced of this, that God has made mankind plain and simple, yet we have made ourselves very complicated. <laughs> and man, when I, when I survey <laughs> the, uh, the planetary landscape that we find ourselves, we have taken God's precepts and principles and we've butchered them. And made them so convoluted and complicated that, um, you know, simplexity is my way of really speaking to my passion, as David asked, of taking complex matters and trying to make them plain and simple. Sometimes I I feel like we accomplish that aim. Sometimes I feel like we make it even more complicated. (laughs) But such is life. And uh, at least I get an A for trying. But... um, (laughs) Simplexity. I'm glad you give yourself an A. <laughs> Amen. As I'm my biggest fan. <laughs> Amen. Right With all my haters, I'm, I'm going to remain my... I encourage myself in the Lord, brother. <laughs> I spoke to myself and I saw the enemy rising. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Oh, it's so true. We've been doing this for, for three years now, and we, yeah, it's the same thing. Our, our goal has been to encourage the new believers, strengthen the young believer, and just break things down to a level where they can be, this can aid their discipleship, this can aid their growth. And uh, <laughs> I think as many times, probably my fault more than yours, Dave, is uh, we take something that is complex and we try to simplify it and then I go and screw it up. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that just <laughs> went over like everyone's head for a moment. My it's bad. easy to do. It is. It's easy to do. That's good. That's good. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. <laughs>